Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Second announcement is that uh, we got the framework up on our shop this week, and on Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, we're going to gather and, and finish it up. we got to put all the, the siding and the roofing on it, and so... Anybody who is interested in helping with that and, and on a little bit of a work day out there, um, you're welcome. So either get with me or, or just show up that morning at 9 o'clock and, and we'll find a job for you. So we, we started that project this week and, and I decided that, that when we put that framework up um, that we would just kind of use a smaller group. We had just about a half a dozen of us that were working out there and, and some guys that kind of knew what they were doing and then there was Kevin and I. Um, but... We we decided we'd use a smaller group because there's a lot of measuring and you know time-consuming work, and we didn't want a lot of people just uh, standing around. <clears throat> and so uh, I just really want to give a special thanks to to Gary Noonan and Roger Goodhue and and Graham Hughesby and Kevin Weatherby and Kevin Redison for their uh, the two full days that we spent doing that this week and and. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It was it was it was hard work, but it was a lot of fun, and and it reminded me that kind of what we did there is a smaller version of what of what to me church should actually look like. Um, the gathering, uh, the fellowship, the the uh, the church body working together as one. Our, we you know it starts out with with our our reason for being there. Okay, and the reason for being here is a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that. The reason for putting up that shop was to glorify God through, through uh, the ability to have a, a freezer and give out beef to, to poor people and or hungry people. And <clears throat> so, we all had we all gathered with with like mind for one common goal, and that's that's what we do here in the church fellowship. Um, you know, the, those men are true servants. They there was no. There was no complaining. I mean, th- those guys will work you to death if you if you get around them. Um, there's no standing around with that crew. You, they, they get things done. And just like in the the church, there's there's different responsibilities, different uh, gifts that each person has, and and each person was able to use their gifts, use their talent, use their skill uh, in a certain way. And um, really talented group. And just like in, in church, sometimes everything doesn't go perfectly and doesn't go as planned. Um, and so sometimes there's a little bit of mayhem involved. And, and it started out, we, we started out really good. We got one of the, the back wall put up, and we were assembling the second wall. And, and the first mistake of the day was made because they picked the guy with the least amount of mechanical skill to get in the tractor and raise up the beam. Okay? That would be yours truly. So, so I get in the tractor and I, I got it raised as high as I can. I mean, I'm maxed out on the lift and the beam just it just barely got high enough. We had it kind of loosely bolted on the sides and and got it kind of in position. And the, these guys are trying to hold it and they're bolting it down and trying to get it uh, um, stabilized because it was real wobbly and scary and it was heavy. And so. Um, Kevin Bredesen was kind of taking the lead on that, and unfortunately, Kevin Bredesen and I hadn't really gone over our hand signals uh, prior to this, and so 
I got the forks tipped up, and, he, and, and he's doing this. I'm like, okay, I, I kind of know what that means. It probably means he wants me to do something, right? And so I moved the lever, and nothing happened, and he goes. And so I hit the lever, and boom, dropped the whole beam. And it crashed to the ground. And that's not really true. It, it was like in slow motion. It, it just sort of folded and screech to the ground. <clears throat> So I felt kind of bad about that, and uh, that's when that's when another aspect of of church fellowship um, came came to be because I got out of the tractor and I fully expected a chewing out because <laughs> we had a lot of work to do now picking this up, straightening everything out. It, it kind of set us back, and those guys showed me nothing but grace. Um, um, I don't think full forgiveness happened until I showed up with pizza at noon, but but eventually they forgave me for the whole thing, and, and we were able to straighten it out and get it put back up. <laughs> but that's how it is in the church body. Sometimes sometimes things happen and don't go right, and and we have to show each other grace and forgiveness and leeway um, when when that happens. And so I really appreciated that crew for their humility, their their service, and and. Uh, um, I think we as a whole church body are just like that. And so uh, when we were putting that building up, when it first showed up on the flatbed trailer, I looked at it and I said, okay, because it showed up on this trailer and there's just like it, it only sat up about this high on the trailer, the whole building. And I'm like, this can't be a whole building, a whole steel building. And yeah, that's the whole thing. And I'm like, this metal's really thin, and it's held together with self-tapping screws. I said, this, this can't be kind of what we're going to do here. And, oh, yeah, this is the building. And I'm like, do these people know how hard the wind blows out here? And do they, have they ever experienced these spring storms where the, the snow, the heavy snow is laying on top of these buildings? Oh, yeah, it's, it's going to. And so we started putting it up, <clears throat> and, and we got the one wall done, and it was really rickety. I mean, it, and... I was really skeptical. I admit, and I'm like, this this can't be, uh, <coughs> this can't be um, the strength that we need for for a building, for a shop. And so, as we went and we started adding pieces, then I started being a little more optimistic. I'm like, okay, when we got the second one, after we after I dropped the second beam and we put it back up and started fastening the purloins together, then we started getting a little bit of structural integrity there, a little bit of firmness in it and something something hit me right then and as as I was working and and it's kind of explained here in Ephesians 6 and it's, it talks about the whole armor of God and God is and Kevin has talked about the whole armor of God before but this series of putting up this building really put a put like a visual in my mind about it uh Verse 13, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. <clears throat> when we only have one piece of God's armor, one, one wall up, everything is shaky. Everything is, nothing is firm. We're, we're at the mercy of a slight wind. We're at the mercy of, of uh, the, the guy operating the tractor. We're, we're at the mercy of maybe uh, the, the braces, the, the two-by-fours not being braced up well enough. <laughs> and it all can come crashing down easily. But then as we start adding pieces of that armor, 
our 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 Christianity starts to strengthen. At first, we're really vulnerable. We're really weak in in the evil. You know, the devil can infiltrate easily, and 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 evil can can knock down that that little wall that we've put up real easily. But we started out out there with with a firm foundation. We we dedicated that ground um, to the Lord. We buried a Bible in that in that uh, concrete foundation. We stamped the Long X brand right in the doorway because because uh, we're we're adding pieces in this ministry that are gonna that are gonna strengthen and firm up um, our armor. And so, as individuals, we need to do the same thing. And so, that that foundation and that first wall, you know, might have been truth. And then and then when we started adding purloins, you know, that that could be righteousness. And then when we started adding the cross braces, then then you're adding peace. Um, when we add the side braces, then you're then you're putting in faith. Okay. When we when we put up the the tin on the walls, that that can be salvation. And when we finally put the roof cap on, that's going to be the sword of the spirit. That'll be the spirit who who covers all of us. And and once once we have all those pieces put up. That, that building is going to be really strong, really stout, able to withstand blizzards, uh, tractor drivers, um, you know, anything, anything that comes along. It's going to be able to hold up to it. It's going to be firm. It's going to be strong, and, and nothing's going to be able to knock that down. And so when we, in our own uh, search for, for uh, faith and, and for, for our own defense against the devil, we need to be adding as we go. We need to be adding those... those uh, beams, those purloins, of, and, and the whole armor of God, because that's the only way we're going to be able to stand strong against the wind, against the devil, against all the evil forces in this world, against, against the world itself, and not be able to crumble, and not crumble and fall to the ground. Um, and so that was a real good visual for me. Um, if, if anybody's feeling weak, if anybody's feeling like their wall is maybe getting tippy, um, read Ephesians and, and start working on those pieces of armor in, in your Christian walk so that uh, so you can firm that up, so you can have a solid foundation, have a solid structure, and be able to withstand the evils in this world. And, and as we mature in our faith, that's, that's what we're expected to do. Um, Kathy and I were, I don't get on Facebook very often, um, but, but I look at it with Kathy, and she showed me a little thing last night um, about a little boy that had, that had had a young calf and it and it got its back broken and he had to go put his calf down and and he called on to a, a radio show was it and he and he was talking to the radio host about um what what God had told him about that and God had told him that when we lose a loved one he understands because God himself lost his only son he, he God had to watch his only begotten son who was innocent Murdered, murdered in front of his eyes, and so anybody that's lost loved ones, anybody that's gone through struggles, God understands. And that little boy said it so profoundly, I can't do justice, but but he said, just remember that God understands, and He's there with you. So I'm going to leave you with that. Let's pray. God, thanks. Thank you so much for your Son Jesus, who allows us uh, a life filled with joy and peace and, and love and salvation and, and forgiveness of sins. We're all here because of our belief in him. 
We're all here because of our faith in each other. And we're all here because we, we want that eternal life with you, Lord. Please be with anybody that's hurting or, or lost a loved one in this season. Let them know that you understand. Please help us put on our armor so that the evil ways of this world can't permeate us and, and, and we can stand strong and, and keep doing your work. I ask you to have a special bless, blessing for Kevin and his family as they lead us in all these endeavors. And, and uh, we know that the Holy Spirit is on us today. And for that, we're, we're thankful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good job. Good morning, everybody. Morning to everybody here in Kiowa, Colorado. Uh, also welcome everybody watching online, on Facebook, on the website, on live stream, wherever that might be. This is a uh, sick pen for sinners, not a show ring for saints. Okay, we spread the good news through the legacy, artistry, and traditions of the working ranch cowboy. Okay, we're a sick pen for sinners, not a show ring for saints. Okay, we're here to lift each other up, not not point our fingers at anybody, not try to tear each other down or, or anything like that. So uh, anyway, my name is Kevin Weatherby. Um, moved to Colorado about seven years ago and uh, moved up here on faith and, and living on faith and maybe Bon Jovi as well, living on a prayer. So anyway, there's your rock and roll reference for the day. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to First uh, Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. Many things come naturally for me. Um, it's kind of a gift that I have. Um, I taught myself how to play the guitar. Um, I was uh, living in San Angelo, Texas, and uh, didn't have any money. Uh, worked at a feedlot during the day in a convenience store at night. I was the night clerk at a 7-Eleven. And, you know, when you're a night clerk at 7-Eleven and you go to school full-time and you... Uh, Work at a feedlot during the day, you don't have any money. I, I don't know how it is that you can work that hard and not have any money, but I did. So instead of going to the bar or what other people were doing, I went to the store and bought me a Garth Brooks Rope in the Wind little book that showed you where to put your fingers. And I put my fingers there and went, because that's what happens when you learn to play the guitar. And I just kept at it and taught myself to play. And, you know, I'm no Stevie Ray Vaughan or anything, but I can pick a song or two around a campfire. Um, I, I shot trap whenever I was little, you know, trap and skeet, but just the trap side and, and won the state championship until they took the, uh, buckle away from me. That is, there was a mix up and they had put a kid in the, in the, uh, junior level instead of the sub junior, I was in the sub junior level and he was 14 when they signed up, but he was 15 on the day of the shoot. So they put him in the junior and they like, Oh no, the rules say that. You know, you, you shoot when you, the age you are when you sign up. And he beat me by one bird. So they handed me the state championship buckle. That's my mic, sorry. And uh, they handed me the state title buckle. And I got to hold it for about 30 seconds. And then they took it away from me. But needless to say, you know, I, I came pretty natural at, at shooting trap and skeet uh, or trap. Um, my first year of, of roping in the ranch roping in the novice division, I won the finals. Okay. Now I'm not saying any of this, uh, to brag. I'm not bragging that I started on, you know, started both ways on football. I'm just saying that things come natural to me. I can pick things up quickly. I've never said that I'm the best at anything, but I pick things up quickly. And I'm thinking about this. As I'm running around a middle school track, 
in Fort Stockton, Texas. It's dusk. The temperature's about 90 degrees and the crickets are taking place of the birds. And there's just a little bit of a cooling off period. And I'm staring at that little cement curb right before the asphalt starts. You know, the, the old track style that had the little stringy things that stood up that when you were a little kid, you pulled all those little strings like the edge of a tire. I'm staring at that, trying to get as close as I can to that because I have to run a mile and a half. And I've never done this before. I'm an adult. I've got a full-time job. And I've never run a mile and a half in my life. Never had any reason to. And I'm experiencing something that does not come very natural to me. And honestly, as I pound the pavement, because I've got really flat feet, and it sounds like, you know, like I'm running in scuba gear. Slap, 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 slap. Because I just, I don't, if I need to run somewhere, I saddle a horse, right? But today I'm running a mile and a half, six laps around this track. And I'm wondering why I'm doing this, because the Bible says in Proverbs 28, 18, that the wicked flee when no one pursues. And nobody's chasing me, so I'm wondering what I'm doing. But the reason that I'm running around this track is I work for the prison system and I've been chosen by the unit to be the defensive tactics instructor. And I have to go to Huntsville to get certified. I got to go get certified. And in order to get certified, we have to do a little agility course. We have to do some push-ups. We have to do some sit-ups and uh, we have to do a vertical jump. Basically, you know, the prison unit combine is what we're going to have to do. But we also have to run a mile and a half in under 15 and a half minutes. Now, I have no idea if 15 and a half minutes, I mean, am I going to have to book it? You know, am I going to have to hit a pretty good lope in order to get this done? Or can I just, you know, kind of maybe do like a little jog and get it done? Can I go so far as, you know, like maybe run the straights and walk the curves and get it done? I mean, I, I just don't know. So I'm out here pounding the pavement as close to the inside of this track as I can get to make it shorter. And I'm wondering this and I get done and I jog the whole thing. I've never done that in my life. I jog the whole thing and had a couple of minutes to spare. I thought that running didn't come naturally to me. Look at me. I have no need to practice this very first try. Nailed it. We step off the bus in Huntsville at a little building where our uh, certification is going to happen. And it's 95 by 95. It is 95 degrees outside and the humidity is 95 degrees. I feel like I need to chew when I breathe. The air is so thick. We are not in West Texas anymore where it's dry and all of that. I'm in a different world now. So we go into this place and they've got the, a bunch of cones set up and they divide, there's like 80 or a hundred of us. They divide us up, you know, pretty equally among this. And we have, I don't remember how many seconds to like run up there and, and go around the last cone and come back. And then we come back and, and we do this like figure eight through the, uh, through the cones. And then we have to do it like just facing one way where you don't turn or anything. That's going to drive me insane. And, uh, anyway, so I get up there and I'm one of the first to go cause I'm really competitive and, you know, I'm like, okay, get, get ready. Here we go. Here we go. I wonder why that's doing that. 
I think that's why I went to the other mic in the first place. Um, so anyway, I take off running. Ooh, ooh, I do it as fast as I can, and I get done, and I'm kind of breathing hard. Whew, yeah. And it doesn't take very long. I'm still breathing hard when they say, everybody grab a partner, the person closest to you. So I look, and there's this guy standing there. So I'm like, me and you? Like, yeah. So he said, one person get down on the ground and lay on their back. The other person hold their feet for the sit-ups. So he gets down on his back, and I hold his feet. And he's got uh, one minute to do 30 sit-ups. And so he's got to touch his head on the back of the, on the floor and then raise up and basically touch his chest to his knees or, you know, something to that effect for it to be one. So he starts doing it and they're like, go, he's doing sit-ups. And I'm kind of worried about this because I I don't do, I've never had a reason to do a sit-up. I I don't, you know, I roll out of bed. I don't even sit up in bed, you know? I mean, there's just, there's no point. And so anyway, he does his 30 sit-ups and I'm still kind of breathing hard from my, you know, mad dash agility course. And so I get down and I start doing my sit-ups and I have a pretty rough time with it, but I get it done. No big deal. But I'm breathing harder now. Well, now they say, okay, first person has to get down to do push-ups. And they said the other person put their fist underneath their chest like this and they have to go all the way out, lock out, and go all the way down and touch the fist for it to be one. And I'm supposed to count to make sure that this guy gets 30 push-ups, right? And so that may not seem like a big deal, but I'm a little worried about it because, you know, when you're like me and you've got arms this long and a chest that has the contours of a piece of plywood, it would be easier if I was to touch my nose on the ground than this guy's hand. I got to go all the way down, right? But I, yeah, I'm counting my blessings because I'm really glad that I didn't accidentally get partnered with one of the three ladies that are doing the push-ups that have male partners because things are fixing to get really personal. So I am thankful for that. So anyway, my, my guy does it and he, he does all of his push-ups. And 60 seconds later, I'm down, busting them out. And we both re- nearly reached 50. Didn't even try real hard. No big deal, man. Cowboy, things come naturally to me. So we jump up and they head us outside like Marine Corps uh, drill sergeants. Get outside, outside, outside. So we all run outside and we line up to do the uh, vertical jump. Well, I got out there. I'd never done that before. You know, so I got up there. I'm breathing hard now. Whew, I'm winded. That, that little bitty building that we was in, it was a half the size of this right here. And there was a bunch of us in there and we're running and it's stinking and we're sweating. And, and now I'm breathing real hard. And I'm starting to wonder when I'm going to jerk out that asthma inhaler that I got in my pocket. But I get up there and I jump as high as I can with asthma, right? Whew, nailed it, right? So I'm sitting over there and I'm, uh, and, and I'm trying to be cool, right? But it's hard to act cool when you're having an asthma attack. You kind of stand there like this and you're like, (sighs) but you're trying not to, you know, you're turning blue on the side of your face, but you're still trying to be cool. That was me. And so once everybody got done with that, which wasn't very long, I mean, it was just one after another, they go, get on the bus, get on the bus. So we get on two buses and I'm thinking, okay, now we're going to go to a track somewhere. Now's the, the time to run. And we drive down, I'm thinking, well, man, I hope it's like a 20-minute ride. I'm pulling the air down, and I use this opportunity to lean forward in my seat and suck on that inhaler like it's an oxygen tank, you know, <laughs> you know, trying to breathe again. So I sit up, and I'm still trying to be cool. I'm at the front of the bus. We drive about 40 seconds, and they, get off the bus, get off the bus, get off the bus. What? 
So we get off the bus and I'm looking around. There's no track. We're out in the middle of the woods, you know, not very, I mean, just a mile or so from where we just were. And the instructor says, everybody gather around here. So we gather around. He goes, you see that overpass down there? That's three quarters of a mile. Run there and back. You got 15 and a half minutes to qualify. Go. I'm still breathing hard. But the breathing didn't concern me near as much as the fact that it was downhill to that overpass. And that didn't concern me near as much as what would happen when I got down to the overpass and had to come back up. Because I'm already, I'm asthmatic now, man. I am. I, I, I sound like a bearing is going out. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I take off running. I'm a cowboy. So I run and I run and I'm thinking one step at a time, breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth, control your breathing, control your thoughts, which came out kind of like, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's kind of what it looked like. And so I get all the way down to the bottom and I whirl around and I mean, I can feel it coming up. I take that first step, man, and it's just like doubled, you know, it's so hard. And I've only gone like four feet and I'm like, I don't know if I can do this, but I just keep going and I just keep going. And I start running and there's only like a dozen people ahead of me. So I think I'm doing pretty good. I'm about to die. I may be dead doing good, but I'm, I must be doing something right. Cause I mean, there are like 70 people behind me. Boy, I'm trying to keep pace with a few of the leaders. You know, I mean, there's a couple of people that are, you know, they're done by the time I get down to the bottom, but for the, you know, normal people, there's just a few ahead of me. And I get about halfway up this hill and something happens that is not natural to me. I've never experienced it before in my life, and I've yet to experience it again. But I experience what it's like to puke your guts up while you're running. That was Brent. Now, I've, I've been a little bit, you know, sick at my stomach from two-a-days and stuff like that. But, you know, you get to go over there and just, you know, bend over and just puke your guts out, right? Not on this. I'm just running and I just, bleh, I just puke my hoagie out all over the side of the road. But I keep going. <laughs> Let's go, cowboy. Right? And then I experienced something else I'd never experienced before. That is dry heaves while you run. You ever had dry heaves when you run? Because I puked everything out. It is a sickening feeling. <laughs> and nothing comes out. It is very hard to breathe. When you have the dry heaves while you are running uphill and never done this before. But I'm nearing the end. So I get up there, right? And this guy's got a stopwatch. And there's still, I mean, a few people passed me, you know, while I was puking. Because I kind of slowed down just so I didn't get it on my britches. And so, anyway, it's hard to run in Wranglers. I didn't know no sweats or nothing like that. So anyway, I'm running in my Wranglers and I get up there. And I go through the line and I hear that guy say, he calls out the times as you cross. He says, 15, I'm like, yeah, 56. You've got to be kidding me. I failed. I had dry heaves running. You ought to get like a bonus for that without stopping. I never, I've only run a mile and a half one time in my life. I found something that did not come natural to me. But you see, I didn't fail that day. I didn't fail. I failed long before that. I thought because I did it once and did it good that I didn't have to put in the hard work and the preparation in order to do it again. 
anyone can do something once under ideal circumstances, but not everyone can do it under the worst of circumstances. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Peter says, so prepare your minds for action. In other words, Peter's talking about how to live our faith through Jesus Christ. He says, so prepare your minds for action because we, we're, we're not Christians based upon what we believe. We're, we're Christians based upon what we do, right? And he says, Christianity is an action. Our faith should be an action, not just simply some theological philosophy. He says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Last week, we talked about preparing our minds for action. This week, Peter tells us that we must exercise self-control. Most people don't exercise. Most people don't put in the hard work in order to better themselves. Just because you've done it once under ideal conditions doesn't mean you'll be able to do it again in the heat of battle or to be able to have self-control uh, during a heated argument or when fear has you in a headlock or when things are so going so wrong that you can maintain a sense of self-control unless you have been exercising your self-control. I don't care how many times you've done it in the past. You are going to do exactly like I did and you're going to come up short because you haven't put in the work and the preparation for those hard times. The true test of self-control doesn't come when it's easy, but when it's the hardest thing in the world to do. When you've done something once and then you have to run a mile and a half in some other form and you run downhill, now you've got to run uphill. Unless you've been exercising your self-control, you're going to come up short. Why is this important? Because like I said, we're not Christians because we believe in Jesus. We are Christians because we act like Jesus. We follow him. We do what he says. We do what he did. The Bible calls it becoming holy or Christ-like. We will never become Christ-like without exercising self-control. I'm sitting at a picnic outside of Fort Stockton, Texas, in one of those aluminum folding chairs that has the multicolored weave for the seat bottom and the back so that when you lean back, all you really feel is the top and the bottom and it cuts the circulation off. You know, those good ones, right? None of these fancy folding chairs with the legs kicked back with the drink holders. No, this was old school, right? Sitting out there and the smell of barbecue is permeating the air and, and it's, not too, it's not too hot, it's not too windy, it's a great day. And I know most, I, I don't know hardly anyone at this barbecue. My brother is married to my beautiful sister-in-law at this point, recently married. And she has some extended family in Fort Stockton. And we are, I am with them at this barbecue, surrounded by most people I don't know. I don't even know if she knew most of them. They were the great aunts and the second cousins and, you know, the second cousin's first wife's hairdresser. And you know how it goes. But I'm at a barbecue with a lot of people that I really don't know. There's laughter and conversation, as you would expect at a barbecue. And I have my cowboy southern charm turned up to level 10. 
because that's the way I was raised. When you're around people you don't know, especially older people, you know, like 40s and 50s. And so every time I meet one of these ladies, boy, I take my old hat off. Hello, ma'am. How are you doing? Kevin Weatherby, nice to know you. And whenever I meet the men, you know, I look them straight in the eye and I give them the old firm grip, you know. No, no limp, dead fish handshakes here. Cowboys. We eat some wonderful Texas barbecue. And like I say, I'm, I am the epitome of Texas Southern charm. But all of that is about to come crashing down. We finish up the barbecue and desserts of all kind, and we're once again sitting in a circle, listening to stories and friendships and camaraderie. My sister-in-law's grandmother, I believe it was, or a great aunt or somebody, was telling a story, and I don't remember what the story was at all, but it was funny. I mean, it was real funny, and, you know, I, I love a good story, so it takes a lot to really make me, like, LOL, you know? I mean, I can do the, the obligatory, <laughs> but I mean, you know, to make me laugh is, is something special. And I am laughing out loud. I am LOLing at this blue haired lady's story. And she's telling it just so calm and collected and everybody else is roaring around her. Well, she gets done and, you know, the laughter's up here and then it kind of starts, <laughs> oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> And then there's silence. And I'm uncomfortable with silence. I feel like I'm responsible to fill in the gap, to be the MC of every situation so that nobody becomes uncomfortable. So I decide to fill in the gap. And instead of just joining everybody else, I thought I would offer my congratulations on a great, funny story, well told. And so when everybody dies down, I look at her and I said, my goodness, that was effing funny. And I don't say effing. I drop the biggest F-bomb you have ever heard in the history of Evers. And I end it with male. You ever seen that? Ty talked about something happening in slow motion. You ever seen words in slow motion and there's nothing you can do about them? That's what happened that day. I don't know why I did it. I stuck the biggest foot in my mouth that ever existed. One that was gangrene used to clean out septic tank type foot in the mouth. You know what I mean? See, I, I mean, I worked at the prison and when you work around prisons, man, that F word is just, man, it's just another word. It's every other sentence and, and like working in the oil field or construction sites or sometimes ranches. And, you know, it, it just kind of got ingrained, but it was so ingrained in me. I didn't even realize I was saying it till after I'd said it. I don't really remember what I said afterwards. There was an apology, a profuse, profuse apology. And there was no one to blame but me. Nobody made me do it. Working at the prison is not an excuse for that. There is no excuse, no explanation. And I'll never forget all of those people looking at me wide-eyed as I dropped the F-bomb in front of them. I've never felt lower in my life than that moment right there. And I learned that day, I finally understood that day that I am totally responsible for everything that I say and do. There are no explanations. There are no excuses. I can't blame or deny what comes out of my mouth or comes from the works of my hands. 
when Peter says in 1 Peter chapter, or chapter 1, verse 13, 1 Peter 1, verse 13, when he says, prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control, we must understand that we are responsible for what we say and do. It says self-control. Nobody else is going to do it for you. Nobody's going to be standing there telling you what to say and what to do. You are in control of you. And the first part of developing that is exercising, is working on it, is knowing it. But the second part is knowing that you are responsible. You are responsible for everything in your life. Nobody can make you mad. You can choose to get mad at what somebody says, but nobody can make you mad. You're not a puppet. You are not a marionette that somebody can just wiggle a few little handles and make your hands do this and your mouth do this. You are in control, self-control. Taking things personal is a choice. Getting your feelings hurt is a choice, not an excuse for bad behavior. You are responsible for every single word and action that you speak. Nobody else. I don't care what the situation is. Now, I'm saying that you need to be responsible for every single thing in your life. I did not say that everything that happens in your life is your fault. I didn't say that. Now, what do I mean by that? If you have a knock on your door and you go to the door and you open up the door and all of a sudden there's nobody else, but there's a newborn baby laying on your doorstep and it's snowing, that is not your fault. But now for a time period, for whatever happens next, you are responsible for what happens next. Okay. Whether you call the, uh, the police or, or, you know, maybe you take it in and bundle it up and get it something to eat, or, or I, I don't know what you do, but that what happened in that situation is not your fault, but you are still responsible for what happens next. First Peter chapter one, verse 13, prepare your minds for action and exercise self control. Your relationship with God is your responsibility. I've heard people say all the time, well, I didn't, I quit that church because I just wasn't getting fed. I ain't gonna feed you. Ain't my responsibility to feed you. I'll give you a recipe. I'm not the bread of life. Jesus Christ is. Anybody that comes to him shall never be hungry. Not Kevin. You're gonna starve to death if you're waiting on me to feed you because I ain't doing like the airplane stuff. I ain't doing it. You are grown people. Your relationship is your responsibility. When you stand up in front of the Almighty, you will be all by yourself to answer for the things that you have said and that you have done. And there will be no explanations, no excuses. It will be you and yourself and the big man. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. I'm hanging on for dear life in a pasture in South Texas while a renegade horse tries valiantly to unseat me. The same horse that many of you recall, the story of me going through the cactus. And I ask, you know, what do I do? (laughs) What if he starts bucking? He says, don't get bucked off. Same horse. We're riding out in the pasture, me and Antonio, and Atrevido is trying to kill me. He is hitting the ground. I don't remember. I mean, he's bucking really hard. Not none of this crow hop, you know, kind of kick. And no, we're talking about, you know, Bronc ride, honking. I, I don't remember much about the ride, but I remember the noise, the, the sound of, of the hooves hitting the ground, the sound that he was making from the exertion because he was giving it all he had. I remember the dirt that was flying up. I remember the heat. And I vividly remember the sudden stop on my left ear when I hit the ground. 
but I also remember the emotions. Because see, I was the world's worst bronc rider. If a horse bucked, I fell off. That is plain and simple. When a horse bucked, I fell off, but I wanted to be a cowboy. So the only way to rectify that situation, you, you can't be a cowboy if you're scared of getting bucked off all the time when it permeates you like it permeated me. So I did the opposite. I went and found a job where I started colts. And when I say started colts, I wasn't a horse trainer. I was the stupid one that got on and, and rode them until they quit bucking, which usually they quit bucking right when I fell off. But still, I climbed back on and, you know, there you go. But I remember the emotions, the fear, the anger, the worry, the dread. These have been my God most of my life. These are what rule me. I did their bidding. I watch as my horse runs off and Antonio goes to get it. Do you stand there in the heat and wait for him to come back? I remember wiping dirt off my face and watching Antonio go over the hill after my horse. And I'm thinking, do I stand here? Do I start walking that way? Do I start going back to the house? I I, I don't really know what to do in this situation. And I really don't remember what I did. I think I might have walked in some circles and dug some thorns out of me. But here in a second, I see Antonio come back over the hill leading otro vido by the Makate. And he comes riding up to me. And during my time to cool down and wipe myself off with all of these emotions running through me, I decided to play my trump card my coping mechanism to try to quiet these things down. And I always use humor to try to diffuse situations. So when Antonio rode up to me, he said, or whenever he rode up to me, I looked up at him and I smiled and I said, I meant to do that. And he didn't smile. He took that horsehair Makate and he threw it right in my face, hit me right in the face. And he told me in broken English, well, don't mean to do it again. I wanted to punch him in the face. Honestly, I kind of wanted to cry. Tough cowboys ain't supposed to say that. But there were so many emotions battling inside of me that I just didn't know what to do. I wanted to punch him in the face. I I wanted to to get on this horse and, and, and punish this horse for what he had done to me. I wanted to take it all out on somebody else. I wanted to take it out on Antonio, on Atrevido. I wanted to go to the house and say, I quit. But for the first time in my life, I didn't give in to these lesser gods of emotion, lowercase g, not uppercase. I didn't bow down to these emotional gods I had served for so long. I just towed a stirrup and threw a leg over the kennel and took a deep seat and rode back to headquarters following Antonio. And it was the last time on that ranch that I came off a horse. Prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. 1 Peter 1.13. It's easy to lose control. It's easy to worry or fight or fly off the handle or drop in depression or become passive aggressive or yell at somebody. Those are all easy way out. It's harder to remain in control to make yourself do what you know is right. Later on in his book, Peter says, stay alert. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. When we lose control, when we lose self-control, we are devoured. It takes a man full of God's strength to control themselves, to put them, to put in the hard work to prepare for times of adversity, to take responsibility for themselves and to control themselves in every single situation. See, too many of us have been bound down to those emotional gods. We, we, we are everything except self-controlled. We are not Christ-like. We are not holy because we're out of control. Not because we're bad, but we must prepare our minds for action and exercise self-control. First Peter 1.13. But why, 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 
I'm putting a fan in the back of my truck. It's, one, it's a white fan. It's got four buttons on it, an off, a low, medium, and high. And it has a blue fan on it, and it's one of those oscillating fans. And I had it next to my bed there at that ranch. And I remember sticking it in my uh, truck bed, and the wind was blowing, so the fan was turning. And I, I'm looking at the motion of the fan, and I look up, and Antonio's walking from the bunkhouse. He doesn't have a hat on. His sleeves are pushed up because it's hot and there's no air conditioning down there. He's got his shirt tail hanging out, but only half of it's tucked in. So the other half is hanging out. I don't know why I remember that. And he's walking across and I look from Antonio back to that fan. And I know I've been up in the, uh, the second story of the bunkhouse where the cowboys sleep. It's a kitchen below and bunks up top. They don't have fans up there. They just have open windows. And I look at that fan and think, I don't need this where I'm going, where there's central heat and air. And so as Antonio walks up, he looks at me and he says, adios, amigo. And I said, adios, amigo. He says, vaya con Dios. Go with God. And I shake his hand and then I look and I pull that fan out of my truck and I said, Antonio, I want you to have this. He goes, no, 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 Antonio, I do. I, I, I don't need it. Please, my friend, take this. No, 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 no. I says, please, Antonio. Okay. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I said, you're welcome. And he just turns and he walks off and he takes a couple of steps and I'm still looking at him and he sets the fan down and he turns around and he takes two quick steps back and he wraps his arms around me and full frontal hugs me and says, I will miss you, amigo. I will miss you. When he pulled back, tears were running down his face. Why do we prepare our minds for action and exercise self-control? so that we can experience those moments right there. Because if I would have given in and punched him in the face or got mad and flew off the handle and quit, I would have never experienced one of the greatest moments of my life when one of the greatest cowboys to ever come out of Musquis, Mexico, hugged me around the neck with tears in his eyes and said that he would miss me. I have not seen him since I crossed that cattle guard, nor have I heard anything of him, but I think about him and I feel him all the time. Prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. That's why we do what we do. That exercising self-control allows us to experience the beauty, will allow you to experience the beauty of those precious moments that will be waiting, that are waiting on you. And that when one day you stand up in front of the boss, he'll look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Let's go to God in prayer. God, thank you for your message today. Help us. I I don't want anybody leaving here today, God, without you in their heart and a firm foundation of the exercise, the hard work that we need to put in to prepare our minds for action and to exercise self-control so that we can put our hope in the glorious salvation that will come to us when we see Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for sending him to live that perfect life so that we can follow him. And the act of following him is the act of becoming Christ-like. It's not what we believe. It's what that belief does through us and how it changes us and it affects our actions and our words and the way that we love others. God, help us, give us the strength and the courage to do just that. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.